everyone. Talk of the Town is up and running in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, USA. I'm Scott Montesano, and this is where the Chippewa Valley comes to talk. Hey, give Eau Claire Hometown Media a five-star rating on Spotify. Oh, it would be greatly appreciated. We've got plenty to choose from today, and I'm going to stay the course with what the initial discussion was going to be, and that's going to be talking about a, a recent column in Volume 1, and also discussing uh, the jury duty I was on last week, served on a jury last week. I was rendering judgment upon our peers last week. Going to talk about both those things uh, today, but of course Monday was chock full of news in the Chippewa Valley, The, the least of which, the least of which is the fact that the Lily Peters mur- murder trial is going to remain in adult court. Uh, the murder suspect will be tried as an adult. That official announcement, that official judgment coming down on Monday, and that was buried in the news. As an aside, by the way, at this point we all know the name of the murder suspect, but I think there was a glitch or a hiccup because they're still referring to the murder suspect by an acronym, by a a couple of letters, but was watching WQOW this morning, and the the anchor mentioned the suspect's name before the rest of the report just constantly talked about the the letters, referred to uh, the suspect as, what what do they call it, CPB? referring to the suspect and so I, I thought that was kind of interesting not sure if now the transition's going to happen where they're going to start referring to the suspect by their name officially or who may have messed up but regardless uh, that will remain in adult court so that will be something that our, our area has not had a big trial since probably the the, the Larry Loken K. Ownerheim cases of a number of years ago because you think of the Girl Scouts and the tragedy there. You think of the Jamie Kloss. And in both those cases, the defendants uh, pled guilty at one point, and they were quick trials. Uh, this could go on for a while. Uh, speaking of Kay Ownerheim, she's been released from prison per the, the sentence. It shows you how much time flies. So that's been in the news as well. And... The major bombshell on Monday of HSA, of HSHS and Prevea closing operations in the community. The area losing the HSHS hospital on Claremont, which has been a fixture in the community for decades. Chippewa Falls losing St. Joseph's Hospital, which I think is a tremendous blow to that region. Eau Claire at least has a couple other hospitals. But Chippewa and that area is going to be hurting. This is the most substantial workplace news in our area in many years. It's devastating news. This impacts nearly 1,500 workers. That's 1,500 of our neighbors. And many cases, maybe you out there or somebody you directly know that are on waivers. Waivers, as we'd call it, in sports. These are people that, for all the rumors that may have been out there, did not 
go to work or to not wake up on Monday expecting to be out of a job, especially with, let's be honest, a hospital, a medical system. You're thinking they're going to figure out a way here. These things are, to steal a phrase, too big to fail. This isn't a restaurant. This isn't any other type of small business, if you will, where uh, you can tell they're struggling financially and it might just be better to close. No, they'll, they'll figure out a way we'll be bought out. And this is the, you know, the healthcare industry seems to be one that, despite all of what you hear, is still one that grows. So nobody was expecting this news. It's devastating. It is heart-wrenching whenever anybody loses their job. Yes, doctors and nurses, some can financially withstand, but let's not forget their purpose is gone, even if they can financially survive sitting on a butt for a while between jobs. So if you say, hey, there's some people out there making six figures, they'll be fine. Yeah, but even that being said, all right, they might not be having trouble paying for groceries for a few months or making a house payment, but that doesn't mean that they're not going to be emotionally devastated by this. But you also have the enormous support staff, those people making thirty, forty, fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year, some that have been still living paycheck to paycheck, others are more financially secure depending on how many years they've been saving, but None of this was expected, and my heart, my empathy goes out to everybody from those who maybe are collecting a pretty big paycheck, but that paycheck is going away, right down to the lowest paid staff member. I feel for those also left in the lurch for their care, finding doctors and the such. Our friend here, Dr. David Usher, of course he has his great podcast, he's had to delay his podcast by a week. We were going to record this week. He can't record this week because there's been a flood of calls into his uh, practice to see about people moving their care over to him. I know other doctors that we communicate with are saying the same thing as well. People now are looking for new primary care physicians. People that have been getting care are now scrambling. The area will survive. But my heart goes out to the people, and that is all our opinion should be on this. That is it. I know people want to have, well, they want to start breaking down mistakes that were made or this or that. The only opinion you and I should have at this very moment is that it sucks for the people. That is the only opinion we should have. There will be time to discuss what does this mean for our area's health care. It's funny. The area I grew up in, mentioned it before, uh, an area now of about 300,000 people has two major hospitals. That's it. They've consolidated down. And there's a lot of worry in my area. They built a brand new hospital, closed two hospitals, and opened up one that isn't some gigantic hospital. And somehow they figure that's going to help, that's going to survive. We'll have to wait and see. I know when I was in Des Moines, Iowa for many years, they've got three major hospitals. And I think they've got a cup. I think they've had another one that's come online. So how much is too much or how much is too little or, or anything like that? We'll have time to discuss. We'll have time to, to, to let that all marinate, if you will. But right now, our only opinion should be it sucks for the people that this happened to. Now, there are some idiotic comments on the boards 
the QOW boards, the EAU boards, idiotic comments, which reminds me to remind you all, sometimes just take a knee. You don't always have to comment. You don't always have to write something. There are people that celebrated this news as a validation to their disdain for the medical profession and lingering anger towards COVID protocols. Hey, get over it. As I've said both publicly and privately, when it comes to COVID and the policies that were in place and all that, we are at a point right now where we need to have honest discussions over what worked and what didn't, and people cannot dig in and be stubborn one way or the other. Both sides have elements where they're right, and both sides have elements where they were wrong. And if you are using this situation as a, eh, see, you know, this is what they get for for, for the way they acted during COVID, you're not advancing a conversation. You're looking, you're sounding like a Neanderthal, a heartless Neanderthal. How would you like it if someone celebrated you losing your job? How would you like that? Somebody celebrated that. You lost your job, whatever it was, or your business had to close, and somebody went, see, that's what you get for being a bad person. How would you like that? And to those not thinking that medical professionals are important. I saw a couple of comments where people said, doctors and nurses don't do anything. They don't do anything, they don't prolong life. There's nothing they can do to prolong life. They, 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 they add nothing of value. This person meant it. I, al I almost wanted to make the whole show about that comment, but I wanna move on to other things that are more fun to discuss. I hope they one day save this guy's life modern medicine, doctors, nurses. I hope they save his life. Or, or better yet, somebody that he loves. And he's put in a hypocritical spot. Keep in mind, by the way, doctors and nurses and the people that are working at these hospitals are not big pharma. They're not the overall health care issues. They're, they're not that. Yeah, there's a lot of problems with big pharma and fat insurance companies and all of that. But that's not the doctors, it's not the nurses, and spare me by the way, tell me a story of how you, you went somewhere and you got bad care. They're human. They're human. All right, moving on. Because no doubt the HSHS situation will be something that'll be in the news for a while. That is, by the way, a huge economic blow to our area. It is one of the rare gut punches our area has taken in the last 15 years. Maybe Hutchinson technology, but even that, I don't think felt the same way. All right, so, so moving on. So I take issue. There was a recent column written by Mike Paulus, and I think that's how the name is pronounced, Paulus. I think it's pronounced like the, the current NCAA basketball coach at Niagara used to be a college football quarterback and basketball player, there was a, uh, a Mike Paulus, uh, or a Matt Paulus, or whatever. Either way, this is Mike Paulus. It's, it's no relation to the basketball guy. But he wrote an article in Volume 1, and we're going to put a link to it in the show notes. So if you're watching, uh, if you're listening, it's in the show notes, the link to the article. Because I encourage you to go and read the article yourself, because I want you to formulate your own opinions. You can read the article yourself. Frankly, 
I see this article that Mike wrote as a slap in the face to many of us in the community as being of a desired lower intellectual level. The, the, the crutch of the article really is many of us live in this area because we want to have kind of a lower intellectual level. We want to have a lower standard of living in this area. And he hides this opinion poorly behind a thin sheet of, quote-unquote, a few bad ideas don't account for the totality of the area. He writes in this article that we as an area need to cool it on commenting on ideas we deem as poor or ridiculous. Ideas that come, you know, business ideas and new ideas that come to town, and we say it's, it's not going to work here. we got to kind of cool it on commenting on things we deem as poor or ridiculous, that all areas have bad ideas, and we need to stop being negative towards new ideas, even if they are likely to fail. Even if these ideas are destined to fail, we've got to stop being negative in the area. For example, he talks, you know, he talks about business concepts that might seem dicey. He gives an example of, uh, of a made-up business idea. I think he's referring personally to that new social club in Altoona that we've talked about that I just don't see the business plan working out. I, it, it's a concept, as we've discussed here before, that maybe 15 years ago would have been valid, but I just don't see not just in this area, but across the country, you don't see those things doing any any business. Again, read the article yourself. Give them a few clicks on the article because that's what I want you to do. I want you to think of, uh, of this your, say, uh, your own way. Read the article. Uh, maybe you don't feel the same way, but I took the article as an insult because my issue is that in his article, he, one, makes it sound like we can't have opinions in this area. Makes it sound like we shouldn't have opinions. Two, any negativity. So if you have constructive criticism on an idea, no, it's not constructive criticism on the idea. It's, it's nothing more than haters going to hate. Two, he claims people that have money. This is, the, this is the one that really started to infuriate me. He claims people that have money in this town are only old people that are too cheap anyway. So even if something comes in the town, a lot of the people in this town that have money, people that have grown up here and have, they've developed money, or people that have moved in with money, they don't want to spend their money anyway. They've moved here because so, they don't want to spend money. So old people with money take a stray shot in this article. And third, he says that our area is nothing more than people who, let's face it, have a lower standard of living and live here only because it's quote-unquote slower. It's a passive way of saying the bar is lower for success here. That people live here because you don't need to do as much. I did not like that. Again, as I said, the crutch of his article was nothing more. What he talks about because on the surface, the idea of, hey, you know, be open-minded to new ideas is not a bad thing. But that's not really what he was writing about in the article. His whole thing was kind of a cloaked way of 
taking a passive shot at the community. If that's not what he intended, that's what it's come across as. If he wrote an article that talked about, hey, people are throwing ideas out there, ideas might not be good, but let's uh, let's stand behind ideas. Let's 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 be because I've said that on this program. Let's give everybody's idea a shot, even if it fails and what have you. But that's not really what he was writing in this article. He was writing that people really aren't that open-minded business-wise here. People uh, are... The whole concept of people don't want to spend money, the whole concept of people have moved here because they don't want new things is really an insult. And again, if that's not what he was intending for, then he might want to go back and rewrite the article. As a, as a published author myself, sometimes you don't convey what you wanted to in the written word. He might want to go back and rewrite it. But I think he got the message across that he wanted to get across. I just disagree with it. Now, Mike and, and Volume 1 should be excited that I'm talking about this. Uh, you put yourself out there. You want comments. He put the column out there. We should talk about it. Now, I'm not mang- angry at, the, at this author. I'm not angry at him, outside of the fact that I disagree with what his tone was. I encourage you, as I said before, to read his article. And again, we have linked it. Make your own determination. Make your own determination on it. It's an article that should have you thinking. And you may look at it and go, Scott, I read it a completely different way. Or you might read it and go, yeah, I agree with you. Now, I don't know this guy's background. And I don't know how much he has lived elsewhere. This is a significant problem with those that... This is a significant problem I do have with with many of the people that write quote-unquote columns for Volume 1 and also the Leader Telegram. It's good to have locals who have spent most of their life here doing columns because they provide a perspective that obviously I'm not able to. But it seems we do lack perspective of people who have spent real significant time elsewhere, not visiting, not just living somewhere during college or for a year or two after college, but they have established elsewhere before they came to the Chippewa Valley. It gives a different perspective to match. And it's not about being different, necessarily. It's not about contradicting what the lifelong local is going to say. It's about finding where the similarities are and what are some of the divergent things. But noticing all that's equal as well. Now, I've lived all over before settling here permanently in 2016. And living all over doesn't mean I lived in Madison for a while or maybe in Green Bay. No, all over the country. And while I've now been here since 2016, I still spend three months every summer in the St. Louis, Missouri area. My perspective, by the way, is that this area is very positive in terms of entrepreneurs and business growth and deep down being more so receptive to ideas than you would think. I think his take in this article was entirely inaccurate and lazy and comes across as a little snooty. Every place will voice opinions and frankly have doubt 
over new businesses and ideas. Every community I've been in. Even when I lived in Des Moines and Fargo, two communities that were and continue to strike gold with everything that comes their way. I also think rapidly this area is starting to desire more. There was a time where this area did not really want more. <laughs> there were still people that were vehemently thinking that the Pablo Center would not be an upgrade over the State Theater. And it took maybe a year for people to realize that, yeah, the Pablo is a step up from the State Theater. But really, ever since the Pablo opened, this area now recognizes it's not, it's not bad to want more. It's not bad to want something better. We don't have to just, we don't have to accept that we just, it worked 30 years ago, let's keep going that way. No, people have realized, you know, I want my restaurant renovated. I want this street to have sidewalks. I want the Sonnentag Center. We got to do better than Zorn Arena. When I first moved to town back in, 20, in 2006, and I spent a few summers here before, again, 2016, I was here permanently, this was an area where most people still had their first dollar they were ever given at their first communion or first Christmas or whatever. This was a very cheap town. It was a very cheap town that people in this area have learned they can demand more and better and deserve it. That has changed significantly in the last number of years, all for the better. From value at restaurants, to the quality of roads, to the Pablo and Sonatag, people want more, people demand more, and to claim people live in this area, either they stay here or they move here because they're okay with not the best is an insult and it should be taken as an insult because that's not the way this area is I think it's okay for people to question an idea I think it's okay for people to have doubts over some very wild ideas like the social club in Altoona especially one that I think by the way the more I've talked and the more I've learned was approved for that under different sort of a people didn't understand people just thought it was a bar that was going to open up they didn't quite I, I think I'm not too sure they would have gotten the liquor license under the business plan as it's come out I think it's okay for people to really wonder about this especially when that business the social club pushed out an established business that was there and had been there for a number of years in Modicom, which has since uh, now gone uh, belly up. All right, wrap up the show with this. So last week, we didn't have a show on Thursday because I was in jury duty. First time I've ever been in jury duty. And I uh, want to give everybody a recap of jury duty because uh, I did serve on a jury. So last Wednesday... I was called in for a single trial. There were some 31 of us that were called uh, together. You go in, you sit down. It's the only trial going on. Go in, sit down. We watch the video. Hey, welcome to jury duty. Then they call us up. I was immediately placed in the jury box. They, they pretty much called up all 31 people. Uh, some of us got to sit in the jury box. Other people were spilled around it. And then they start asking the questions. They're going to weed out the jury. The assistant DA for the case 
was a young man who seemed extremely uncomfortable with public speaking. And that was an issue, by the way. It, it was, I mean, he, 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 the guy would benefit strongly from a public speaking class. This doesn't have to be like you see on television, but it was awkwardly bad, his inability to speak in front of people. But he just asked basic questions, all that, you know, asked like four or five questions, raise your hand, down. Then the defense attorney went to work. Now, she wasn't some polished, slick lawyer or anything like that, but compared to this guy, well, she, she, she came across as... Uh, as uh, she, <laughs> she, 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 she came, came across as my cousin Vinny compared to the assistant DA. But, and she was coy with her questions. Her questioning to the whole jury pool went on for about 30 minutes. She asked us questions that ultimately did not come up in the trial, but I know it influenced some of my fellow jurors. She would randomly call on you as well. She'd look around, she'd ask a question, people would raise her hand down, and then she'd look and be like, hey, juror number two, I saw your eyes flinch when you answered that last question. What do you mean by that? Like she, it was sort of like when you were sitting in school and you started to get worried that the, the professor or the teacher was just going to randomly call on you. That, that started, to, <laughs> started to happen. Uh, but I was selected. This was an OWI case, as 99.9% .9 of them are. I won't get into it too deep, but the basics were the defendant was found sleeping in a parked car in a hotel parking lot, absolutely smashed. There's no debate that the person was hammered drunk. The case, the, the trial, lasted just over a day. We spent most of the time, though, in the back room amongst ourselves. There were technical glitches. That was the big thing. We spent most of the time in the back room, windowless room, uh, where the jurors got to know each other. There was about four or five women that really dominated the conversation, not in a bad way, but I learned about roller derby in town, and one lady had, had immigrated here from Germany 30 years ago as an American citizen, learned about her kids. You know, some other lady apparently works for the bean company out east, uh, out east here. Another lady used to, used to own a store in town. Uh, weren't everyone's life story whether I wanted to or not. Now, the prosecution in the case pounded the fact the defendant was intoxicated. We've established that the defendant was, was just smashed. The defense did not question that. The question was whether the defendant had operated the vehicle. And that's where things got into the gray area. Yeah. Defendants in the, in the car, parked car, smashed. Toxicology reports, all that, yeah, they're smashed. There's no, but they weren't driving. How can you prove they were driving? In the end, as a jury, we were 99% convinced the defendant had operated while intoxicated. We were 99% convinced. However, the prosecution's case didn't finish it off. Never finished it off. It felt like... The prosecution had this, had a first and goal from the one-yard line, yet never punched it in. They never filled the loophole establishing that this person had been the driver. There was, even the circumstantial evidence had too many holes in it. Where had he been? There was no video. If, if they could have, as a couple of the jurors said, if they could have even said five hours earlier somebody saw him get into the car, that would have been enough for them. 
that that would have been enough for them. Like we we everybody in the end, the jurors all sat there and went like, yeah, like I was. You're thinking this is pretty open and shut. I was just waiting for them to provide me with a list of either one of twenty things that would have taken out the reasonable doubt. There was no video in today's day and age. There was no no video of of places where he was driving. It, nothing. Now I know when they read the verdict that this individual was acquitted. You know, we 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 ultimately did not convict this individual because of the reasonable doubt. That's very real. I know the district attorney, Peter Rindall, he was in the back of the room, he gave a disappointing look to us jurors. And the clerk gave a stunned facial expression at the not guilty verdict. But the jury stands behind the decision. He most likely did operate, but his guilt wasn't proven beyond a reasonable doubt for the jurors. I... And honestly, the three other men on the jury went into the back room. We were leaning guilty. And one was very strong, I think, feeling guilty going in. However, the eight women on the panel felt strongly that they had the reasonable doubt. That was the key. It wasn't a matter of... It wasn't a matter of... uh, Did they... That was the thing. It was that reasonable doubt. They're like... There was this hole right here that existed when the trial began, and no effort was ever made to explain that hole. That is, as one of the female jurors explained, like, I went into the case, we started the case off, and within the first five minutes, you're starting to formulate your opinion. And she goes, Okay. You know, and you start to, you know, and, and, but there was a hole right here, and she figured at one point this hole is going to get filled, and it never got filled. In. And in the end, the defendant's guilt has to be proven, not their innocence. The defendant's guilt has to be proven, not their innocence. So in the end, person uh, was uh, was acquitted. It was an outstanding experience. Boy, the people could not have been any nicer. In the Oak Park County Courthouse, got a couple of nice lunches. Uh, I hesitate to say they're free because, well, you and I are paying for those lunches in Oak Park County. Uh, but people were super nice. It was fun. I dare I say it was fun, uh, but with quotation marks. It's real life that was going on. Uh, defend, you, know, he, you know, the assistant DA has to deal with the loss, the, the stress, no doubt, that was going on uh, for people. This case had been going on for three years before it got the trial. But I'll tell you, if you're out there, jury duty is a pain in the ass in terms of your schedule. It is a pain in the ass. But now I've served on a jury. My wife served on a jury. I know others who have served on a jury. If you get a chance to serve on a jury, and albeit hopefully it's a two, mine was a two-day trial. Hopefully yours is a one or a two-day trial. I, I, I can only imagine if it's a week or two-week long trial. But take advantage of it. It is a outstanding experience for you to have. All right, that'll wrap it up today for this edition of Talk of the Town. Back with you again on Thursday. On behalf of everyone who made this podcast possible, I'm Scott Montesano saying there's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow shining at the end of every day. Make sure to take advantage of it. And until next time, so long, everybody.